3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Now. Good morning. You're listening to 3CR. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast. Um, it's Genevieve and I'm joined here with Zoya. Good morning, Zoya. Morning, Genevieve. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's been a pretty cruisy few weeks. I've been on uni break. Go back to uni next week. So, yeah, <laughs> been lapping up the sunshine, which has been great. How have you been? It has been good. I've been doing exactly the same. Lapping up a bit of sunshine, reading, mm. you know. Yeah, going for walks, just yeah. just you know, trying to live a bit of a as gent, be trying to be all gentle to myself. Yeah. it's been 100%. it's been very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like Melbourne's just gl- like I think it's about to turn this week and get all a bit crappy again. But like it's just been glorious, <laughs> like so beautiful. Like even walking around the neighborhood for like the fiftieth time, it's just been like oh, oh so nice. It's it's <laughs> been great. I have seen some excellent dogs. Oh it's my god! <laughs> some really, really great dogs. It's, yeah, it's really made my day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I feel like I don't own a dog or a pet at the moment, but like you always have these little flickings in your mind of, okay, if I had to get a dog, it would be that dog now, or it would be that dog, <laughs> or it, just like this fun little game that I play. Oh yeah, it's great. I feel like I've. Um, yeah, my my favorite thing to do if I go past a dog park. Or from in the dog park today I went for a walk with a friend and we walked through the dog park um and is to play uh um dog ranking so you try oh and pick God. which is the which is the best dog in the park yeah depending on you know which is most goofy which is cutest yeah. which is weirdest and you kind of bring it together to choose choose oh, your favorite 100%, today yeah so judgmental was on puppy. the dogs but <laughs> I mean, ultimately, yeah. all the dogs win. Like, all dogs are the yeah. best dog. So this <laughs> all is a, the dogs it's a, it's a, it's a pointless. Girls. Yeah. Yeah. So really, yeah. it's 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 a false it's a false ranking. But yeah, I feel like <laughs> oh, this is gonna sound a bit weird, but um, correlating like a dog or a dog breed to like someone's personality, like being like, oh my oh, god, yeah, yeah, you're such a <laughs> you're such a Maltese, or you're such a. <laughs> Oh, I'm 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 that. a whippet in a Christmas jumper. That's that's oh my that's God. who I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. nervous yet festive. I feel like I'm such a little Maltese, a little feist. I don't know, a little bit like stubborn. <laughs> like thinks, yeah, thinks like thinks got some grunts, but like not really like the <laughs> oh. facade. It's almost as good as um when you see dogs who look like their owners. Oh my god! Yeah, Walking amazing. Around. Yeah, like a length, like a, a long time. doggo with like a long person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's, it's utter joy. You're like <laughs> you like you found each other. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little thing. <laughs> well, welcome to dog chat with Genevieve and Zoya. <laughs> We've taken over Tuesday breakfast, and this is the next hour and a half. I'm happy with that. I'm so happy to talk about dogs for an hour and a half. Honestly, so easy. <laughs> 
it really is. I wish you could bring dogs onto a radio show and interview them. Obviously, that's <laughs> just a whole bunch of slobber and like weird <laughs> nasally sounds, just yeah. all over the mic. You enjoy it, great. Yeah, <laughs> some kind of conceptual art, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, some ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> Bit weird. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, but the show, unfortunately, is not all about dogs um, as much as we would like it to be. <laughs> no, we've actually got some very um, important important people on the show, um, <laughs> which I'm super excited about. Um, so I, I interviewed actually a friend of mine. I used to work with um, her, but Julie Fenwick, she's a writer um, and she's recently put together this uh, online project called What We See. And it's this um, designed to kind of filter through the media tornado about the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and all the contributors are usually part of the community and anyone can contribute. So yeah, I had a bit of a chat to her and it was so, yeah, really, really awesome. Um, and it's also Homelessness Week um, this week as well. So I got the pleasure of talking to... Jenny Smith, who's the um, CEO of Australian um, Homelessness Australia, and she talks to us a little bit about some new data that they've um, brought out, which is all explained in the interview, um, but pretty much um, it's mostly to do with how many people are homeless at the moment and the amount of social housing and I guess that disparity that has increased mm. in the recent months. Yeah, what have, what have we got coming up? with the show with you Zoya? Well Lauren had an interview with Kirsten O'Connell from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union so they are going to talk about mutual obligation so obviously with all the different changes that are happening it feels like almost constantly around um, unemployment payments and welfare and different things like that uh, Lauren and her I think are going to have a bit of a conversation about that so that that should be pretty interesting and useful. On top of that, I uh, wanted to try and bring something about the most recent Closing the Gap report, which came out very, very recently. There was an update of it. But because it's so new, um, still don't really have enough commentary to bring on that until hopefully next week. So in lieu of that, what I have brought for you or what we are going to show but play is some excerpts from the most recent Beyond the Bars. And the reason why we're doing this is because the update to the Closing the Gap report that came out in the past few weeks still is not addressing Indigenous incarceration rates adequately enough. So if the incarceration rate targets that the new report has brought out continue and if they are achieved, parity within incarceration rates will not be achieved until 2093, which mm -hmm. frankly is unacceptable. Yeah. So in light of that, we thought... Um, let's bring the voices of people who are at the moment incarcerated so beyond the bars for anyone who isn't aware listening is a is a, a pretty big 3cr uh program it happens every year around nadoc and usually is um around sort of may june workshops are held within different prisons around victoria um and then during nadoc week there are broadcasts that are done from these places unfortunately because of covid that couldn't happen this year and instead interview phone interviews were done so we've picked out a couple of different phone interviews from the dame phyllis frost dame 
Phyllis Frost Center that Viv Marlow did on the 6th of July. Really, really powerful, personal, sometimes quite awkward interactions because it's the phone. And um, we thought that would be uh, a valuable thing to, to rebroadcast. Definitely. And I'm so happy it went ahead this year because obviously they couldn't go into the prisons themselves mm. and like the trickiness of trying to contact prisons and get the phone line working, but um, it seemed to work out really, really well. So it seemed for like a really yeah. good show. Yeah, um, absolutely. What, what I found quite interesting though, just as a, as a point was listening back to the audio from the 6th of July one was prior to COVID becoming uh, sort of, happening within prisons Mm. so prior to that there have been no cases in prisons and now as we're recording this there are cases in prisons including I believe in in this center so we're going to be very cautious about the content that we do play and please be aware that this was done almost a month ago so the situation has changed what since then yeah definitely definitely um All right. Well, without further ado, we might get the show started, but it was lovely chatting to you, Zoya. Till next time. You too, Genevieve. Hey, all you mob. It's Dr. Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. If you're feeling like this, remember, it's okay to ask for help. Have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline, or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone, or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. A 3CR supporter. Good morning. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Um, It's Genevieve and I'm talking to actually a friend of mine, Julie Fenwick. She's a writer and has written for um, magazines like ID and is now a new writer for Acclaim magazine. Um, That's just to name a few. Um, But she's on the show to talk to us about her new project titled What We See. It's an online platform that showcases individuals' responses to the death of George Floyd and the eruption of media and protests that have come out as a result. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right, we'll start off just, uh, you know, how have you been going through, I guess, the pandemic, COVID, and, um, yeah, how have you been keeping busy? Um, So I've actually been having a great time in isolation um I'm pretty like I'm a bit of an introvert so I fill my time with being alone which is you know fine um just been doing a lot of reading a lot of writing in that little sliver of freedom we had I was seeing a few friends but now back to doing nothing yeah I mean that's ideal <laughs> mm. isn't it it's been a relaxing time it's been a nice little break yeah no for sure I feel like I've been looking at it a little bit that way as well just like well this is a time that I'm forced to actually do nothing <laughs> not do nothing mm. but mm-hmm. yeah um all I've right definitely so- done- <laughs> wait what was that I've just def- 
I've definitely done a lot of thinking. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good and good and bad. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. All right, so getting onto the topic of what we see, uh, tell us a little bit of background on the project and why you decided to start it. Um, so the project is basically made like a blog and it's nine, I think there's 10 people on there now and it's 10 people's black and brown people's stories and kind of opinions about the latest black lives matter movement. Um, and I made it because I think there were a couple of days in early June when the movement was kind of just getting started that I, I was thinking about how people were protesting and I was getting extremely frustrated by how people were protesting. And I just remember feeling really alienated and alone because I didn't feel like I had black voices surrounding me, telling me honest, raw truth of how they were feeling about everything that was happening. So I was just like, fuck it. I'll just contact a couple of friends and I'll just contact a few people I know and just be like, let's just make our voices heard through everything that's happening um, and just have a singular place where people could come and see what their friends had written about how they were feeling and just like kind of see us as real people rather than see it just as a movement. So yeah, that's, that's why I made it. Yeah, definitely. I like that um, idea of like therapy almost through protest and through telling your story with how um, you reacted to it. Um, Also, so on a personal level, and you kind of answered this a little bit, but so what did the resurgence and I guess the amplification of Black Lives Matter in the media and the protests that are still happening, especially in the US, but happen happening in Australia as well, uh, mean mm. to you personally and how did you feel? Um, I felt mostly angry, but just that kind of anger that is just like your body on fire. And I think... I had no way to get rid of those feelings. And I, I remember the two weeks that I was making what, what we see and they were probably two of the most emotional weeks I've had in a while, just because of reading and editing everyone's stories and just realizing that other people felt the way I did. And it was incredibly validating because I'm, I usually am in a community surrounded by all white people and so just having other people that made me feel a sense of belonging was incredible I remember the protests in Melbourne um, was a really empowering day because I remember being in the middle of the crowd and thinking like no one here is against me everyone's with me and I think it was one of the safest times I've had living in Melbourne or even anywhere in Australia um so yeah it was a really emotional time but as soon as I published that website it was like a weight had lifted off my shoulders um I'm just really sad that the murder of George Floyd was the catalyzing factor of it all you know yeah definitely 
definitely like this is a lived experience for people for their entire lives. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so what we see is about amplifying um, BIPOC voices and stories. Uh, why do you think this is so important in a media torrent that's just gone crazy? Um, I just think in any movement, it's, it's important to listen to the people who are actually the ones being affected because, you know, that's the only way to get an open and honest recount of what needs to change um, and what's, like, directly wrong in society. I just, I just think it's important to speak for themselves, basically. Even though every, every voice is important, everybody counts, the only problem that I saw in the Black Lives Matter movement was maybe like an aspect of white saviorism or maybe like virtue signaling. Um, things like Blackout Tuesday were a bit, you know, iffy. But, yeah. you know, um, I think by like pulling it back to that raw, honest level of basic opinion from young black people, it it like actively dispels any kind of inf- fake information. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, it's just honest. Yeah, no, for sure. I think there's such power with personal stories. Um, mm. And I wanted to make a note about um, your whole project is online. And I think it kind of mirrors the Black Lives Matter protesting that's happening at the moment. There's kind of a new wave of, online protesting, which I guess is what you see with the Blackout Tuesday stuff and the hashtags. Um, Mm. But do you think this type of protest and activism has been an effective source of change or do you think it's been a little bit counterproductive or what do you think? Social media is a great way to spread the message. And I think you know, with mass globalization of information, more people are getting reached that wouldn't normally get reached. And, you know, virality is kind of the key thing these days. But I think people are still learning how to use these technologies. It's easy to spread fake information. Like if we use Blackout Tuesday as an example, like that was a complete failure to me, at least. Like I couldn't believe people did that. Yeah, Like it did nothing to... It did nothing but override platforms of vital information that should have been shared. But I think also with that, people learned from their mistakes. Like the next day, there were apologies. The next day, people like deleted the squares. I think we're still learning and I think we've got a long way to go. But I definitely, I definitely think it's an effective means. Definitely. Of protest. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of especially now, I mean, it, it would kind of mirrors uh, uh, like everyone was in lockdown and nobody could really get onto to the streets, but it's definitely an accessible platform. Um, yeah. As you were saying, I think, I think even without the lockdown, social media in the last like 10 years has really been a huge influence on how we protest. Like I think people are beginning to, you know, design design means of protest specifically for like platforms like Instagram or Facebook, like 12 second videos or yeah. um, information that fits in those little, those little squares. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess on the topic of social media, I guess 
some of the counter arguments towards it have, and you touched on it before, have been uh, this idea of performative allyship with the Black Lives Matter, which I kind of think is what Blackout Tuesday was a Mm. little bit about. And um, do you think, I guess, with people just want to satisfy their own guilt and fulfill this image that they want to be a part of, but there's obviously a worry that the media, you know, this is just popularity in the media. Um, Do you think this is an issue or do you think um, the movement at the moment will get past this idea of performance and online? Um, Yes and no. I, I don't think it's hindered the movement itself, but you know, whatever, whatever you got to do to make you feel like you feel good about yourself. Like it's, it's your morality, not mine. Um, like if you're spreading good information, then that's like, if you're creating conversation, then that's good. I think the only negative thing about people posting and about virtue signaling is that it often stops once the trend passes. And I think in order to create change, people need to be genuinely invested in creating it. So rather than just sharing a few posts, donating to a few charities, there has to be a change in conscious thinking. Um, and even, even if that's the only thing that changes, just conscious thinking about how you perceive someone when you see them walking down the street. And if you, if you think differently, you can pass that on to the to the next person and the next person and the next person, even if that's the only thing that changes. But if you're just putting up posts to seem like a good person and then you don't consciously think or research, I think, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a detriment, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's this idea of to be informed an informed protester or an informed activist mm-hmm. is really important. And I think it's what the Black Lives Matter um, protests have really advocated for, especially recently, education and, um, yeah. Uh, just with your project, What We See, what do you hope people come away with? It changes how people think. And I just hope it stirs um I remember a friend telling me a story about uh like a class in China that his maybe his friend taught and they were a black teacher and their students were Chinese and I don't think anyone in the class saw the teacher as an actual person until the Black Lives Matter movement happened and then they came back and they realized this is actually a person because I think it's so easy to detach yourself from someone that looks completely different to you and not see them actually as a human being. Yeah. So I think with these personal recounts, I hope people can put themselves in the writer's shoes and just realize that everyone is actually just the same. Yeah. You know, species, I guess. Like I don't, I don't really agree with the term allyship. Like I think that's kind of just stupid, like being a black ally, like that, that doesn't mean anything to me. Just be a good person, you know? Yeah. Just see someone else as a person. You don't have to be an ally. Like that's just another form of categorization, <clears throat> I think. Definitely. Um, but Definitely. yeah, I was taught like, 
some people have like come away with from the website a bit confused like my dad came away and he was just like I don't get it I'm sorry I like I don't understand what the website means like there's racism everywhere in the world it's not just black and white and I think that's very true but everything needs a starting point um I think it needs to be simplified to this black and white binary in order for people to understand or make it easier for people to understand. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just hope that people can look at black people and just assume that they're good rather than assume that they're bad. Definitely. Um, and just a last, a last note, tell us where um, our listeners can view your project. Um, you can go to what we see.com. Um, it's, what we see but the what doesn't have an a um so that's where you can go oh good i'll pop it on the website as well so people can access it there as well can i just add one more thing yes of course so i i just want to say that there are so many amazing young black and brown people that have been doing work for years like this this isn't a new thing like they've they've been activists that have been making websites and been trying to spread information I just, can I just name a few? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's people like Aretha Brown and Sabina McKenna who to directly battle with negative perceptions. I think Aretha Brown has a YouTube page and she discusses um, First Nations history. So that's really interesting. And then Sabina McKenna just released an exhibition about um, black and brown people's hair and what it means to them in white society. And then there are people like The Coloured Therapist and Adil Ali who were really influential in the, in the protests with the flats. So there's some great activists to look at as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And local activists as well. Sabina's actually been on the show before and I got the pleasure. Yeah, she's amazing. Isn't she? her. She's so yeah. inspirational. So lovely, like so well-spoken as well. Yeah, um, definitely. All right. Awesome. Um, well, thank you so much, Julie. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Listen, baby, I know that.
if I fuck you for, I guess it's fly. No freaking worries, I just want to get you comfortable. I need you now, but I don't want to get your feelings broke. Women's Centre is calling all craftivists to join us and make a fuss. Make a fuss is a crowdsourced craftivist project looking for submissions on the theme of women's silence. If you've experienced a time when you didn't want to make a fuss, why not get crafting and make some noise? For more information, go to qvwc.org.au and click on Make a Fuss. Submissions close August 19th. Queen Victoria Women's Centre is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. You are with me, Lauren, and we are very lucky to be joined today by Kristen O'Connell, who is the current media spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union. Thank you for joining us, Kristen. Thank you for having me, Lauren. So um, as we were just talking about before I hit record, so much going on for unemployed workers at the moment in this country um, and welfare recipients. So 
I guess the primary reason I was hoping to get you on the show today was to talk about, um, first up, mutual obligations, because that is a term that's being thrown around a fair bit at the moment. Um, and I was wondering if you could just explain to our listeners what that means. Yeah, well, first up, I guess I would say that mutual obligations aren't mutual. Um, the providers who are private companies that are tasked with punishing um, welfare recipients with these obligations do not themselves uphold any commitments that they make to job seekers. They fail repeatedly to find people work. Um, they fail repeatedly to help people help folks access um, financial support that's available to help them be ready for work. Um, things like, you know, helping people pay for public transport or get suitable shoes, things like that. Um, and they even fail to turn up to appointments on time when if a job seeker was to do that, they could risk losing their payment in normal circumstances, although not during COVID. Mm. And is that information that you've got through your work um, or like through uh, members of the AUWU? Is that feedback that you guys are getting? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, everyone who is involved as an organiser in the AEW is on payment themselves, so we all have like first-hand experience of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, we get um, unending reports from members. Like every single day, um, we'll receive um, complaints through Facebook, Twitter, email on our helpline about JSPs or their job service providers. By the way, that acronym mm -hmm. um, for job agencies, uh, you know, mistreating people, mm -hmm. um, bullying people threatening, harassing, and just generally not um, upholding um, their or not their commitments, but the things that the government says they're required to do. Mm. Um, and so mm. the things that job seekers are required to do are really punitive, they're demeaning, um, and they really are extremely draining activities. And, you know, when you're trying to live on um, half the poverty line, which is the pre-COVID rate of job seeker, um, you know, it takes enough of your energy just to survive um, at that income level, let alone having um, really overwhelming numbers of tasks thrown at you that are totally pointless and hamster-wheeling. And so the idea, I guess, behind it, like if, if we were living in a perfect world, the idea behind it is that these mutual obligations, and I'm doing quotes pretty graphically <laughs> here, um, for a job seeker would be things to, I suppose, prepare people for employment is my understanding or like mm -hmm. to help them gain those skills and train and that sort of thing. Um, but you've just said, and, and, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of stories are shared about these activities being really, as you say, demeaning and that sort of thing. Are you able to give some examples mm -hmm. of, um, of what these activities are like? So um, the standard one that people might be familiar with is the job application. So for most people, when they go on to JobSeeker, they're required um, to start applying for jobs. Um, the requirement, again, pre-COVID um, and what we're assuming that the minister will at some point reintroduce um, is 20 job applications per month. Now, obviously, um, a huge amount of time and, and work would go into doing specific job applications for 20 different jobs but also there just are no jobs. And so mm -hmm. even finding jobs that you can apply for is, is work in itself. Um, once you've done that, you often will find you're applying for jobs that you know you're not qualified to do or you know you're not a strong candidate. So it's that really demoralising activity of putting work into something that, you know, you're setting yourself up for rejection mm -hmm. um, 
it's not a pleasant process and I don't know about other folks, but I personally find that even putting in an application and not hearing back about it at all is pretty crushing, mm. let alone putting in an application and getting a rejection letter and, um, you know, to, to be constantly um, having that experience is really not good for people's well-being. Mm. Um, so it's, it's pretty awful. Um, as you, uh, if you're on a payment um, for longer, your um, obligations change. So uh, another one people will be quite familiar with is work for the doll. Um, and that can end you up in a program where um, you're essentially working for way below poverty wages, way below the minimum wage, because you get a slight increase in your payment um, for turning up and doing, in many cases, what is quite meaningless labour. Um, and is, you know, can be quite dangerous labour. Um, again, people might be familiar with the story of Josh Park Singh, who died on a work for the doll site. Mm. Um, he was put into an unsafe situation and um, obviously many people don't feel confident to push back because, again, at any time when you push back, you're at risk of having that poverty payment taken away altogether and then you can't even try to survive. Mm. Just horrifically demoralizing really like the huge mental health impact that this must have as you're talking I'm just mm. it's just awful yeah mm. and we know too that um that people who are on job seeker or who were on job seeker pre-covid somewhere around 45 percent of those people um are disabled and many of those people have tried to get on the DSP and been knocked back due to restricted or new criteria that were introduced um, under Julia Gillard's government, then um, we also have people who would probably quite easily get on the DSP, but the specialist um, medical reports that they need are too expensive and they can't afford them on job seekers. So, um, you know, to get the right reports can cost hundreds or thousands of dollars. And if you're on job seeking, you don't have a dollar to spare, let alone that kind of money. Mm. Um, and we also know that many people are actually well when they go on to job seeker. And then the longer they're on the payment, the more likely they are to both have um, physical and mental health impacts that are not positive. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's many ways in which the system damages people. Mm. And so I guess um, thinking about the period that we're in now, we have seen a bit of an increase or a fairly significant increase in the job seeker payment, mm -hmm. um, which was a really positive sort of everybody got a bit hopeful step forward, mm -hmm. but now it's looking like yeah. these mutual obligations, which my understanding is have been suspended are about to return. Um, why is that, mm -hmm. why is that causing so much anxiety and, and fear? Yeah. Well, just quickly on the payment as well. So the payment was doubled, which brought it up to the Henderson Poverty Line. Mm -hmm. um, and what we heard from um, members is that for the first time, um, obviously they felt in a long time they could have uh, healthy food, um, mm -hmm. afford to do things like get warm clothes for winter, get a haircut. And we started hearing from people that they felt that for the first time in a long time, they really felt equipped to look for work that was suitable for them. Mm. Um, that was a combination of um, being less stressed about paying bills, so having less anxiety, having more energy because of both being less stressed and having um, better food. Mm. And on top of that, these obligations were lifted. So it meant people weren't required to churn out a minimum number of job applications every single day. They were able to look for work that 
would suit them yeah. and take the time to apply for those jobs and to have the energy to do that well. Yeah. Um, so that's a really positive story and it's a really um, tangible illustration of what we've been saying for a long time, which is that mutual obligations don't work. They're purely designed to punish people um, for a situation that is not their fault, mm. um, and that is being an unwaged worker. So the mutual obligations um, suspension um, has been... Uh, extended multiple times and the minister and the department have been using very um, misleading language when they've been making these announcements. So the most recent announcement was made last week, uh, sorry, on the 21st of July. Um, they've said uh, mutual obligations will come back, you will be required to do a job appointment, uh, appointments with your job agency, um, do job applications, and they introduced a new phrase, which is um, you will be required to accept suitable work. And if you turn down that work, you will lose your payment um, and may have a suspension of up to four weeks or a delay of four weeks before you can reapply for a payment. That's really alarming mm. um, to us for a number of reasons. Just quickly, I really want your listeners to know that despite saying that these obligations have been reintroduced, for those first activities, going to appointments, signing a job plan and doing job applications, there are no penalties if you don't do that. So in effect, those things are all voluntary and essentially the suspension remains in place. That is something that they have been misleading people about because it benefits job agencies to do so. On the fourth one, accepting suitable work, there is an existing definition of suitable work um, that the department uses that includes um, work that isn't safe. And so obviously in the context of COVID, um, we're saying that means workplaces essentially need to prove that they have a COVID plan in place um, and that the person themselves won't be putting themselves at risk to leave the house to go to that job or to do that job. Um, so we would encourage people to contact us if they are offered work to help us, um, for us to help them determine whether they think it is suitable work and then to go back to their job agency and push back if they don't think it's suitable. Mm. Yeah, I've seen a few um, a few people talking sort of online about, about that issue in particular and um, a lot of aged care service providers are posting casual job ads through agencies yeah. and are acknowledging that COVID is present in those workplaces but are saying sort of don't worry, we've got it under control. And there's been some concern that that might um, lead, as you say, this under the mutual obligations umbrella to say that this is a safe workplace um, because there's really no definition of that. And it seems very clear that job seeker safety is not at the forefront of this, um, of this plan. Yeah, I mean, I don't think job seeker safety has ever been at the forefront um, of any government mm. of recent times. Um, but, yeah, we are, we've seen those ads. We're very concerned about them. And we have asked whether um, the minister would require people to accept that work under this new rule. Um, there has been uh, no indication as yet. Um, but our policy officer is still um, trying very hard to get the minister's office to answer our questions um, and working with the department to try and clarify um, these things so that we can send out that information to our members, put it online so that anyone... Um, who wants to can find out what the real deal is and um, stop kind of having to try and understand all of this grey language that the government's been using. Mm. 
if you've just tuned in, you are on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, and I'm here with Kristen O'Connell, the media spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Um, Kristen, our listeners, this is a feminist breakfast show, so our listeners are always um, curious to know what's happening when we're talking about welfare um, with Parents Next. And I'm wondering about, um, obviously, there's pretty strict compliance requirements there for parents um, to do activities and that sort of thing. Um, What's happening with that during the pandemic? So at this stage, every um, payment that has mutual obligations, those obligations have been suspended. However, as I said, there's been a lot of um, misleading information provided. And across the spectrum, we've been hearing from people about job agencies lying outright about whether a person will be penalised for not participating. Mm -hmm. So that applies to single parents on Parents Next as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had a couple of particularly alarming reports. So again, you've got Parents Next participants being told that they have to do things that they don't have to do. And if they don't happen to come across one of our media releases, they may not realise that um, they have the right to say no to those activities. Obviously, there's a safety concern, but there's also, um, you know, other concerns such as, you know, we've had a, a mum being told that she needs to drive six hours to go to a parent's next activity or lose her payment. Mm. And she's actually been too afraid of losing her payment to say no to mm. doing activities, even though she's been told she doesn't have to do them by advocates. And it, this is the thing that broke her because she's like, well, I can't actually drive six hours, so I guess finally I'm going to have to say, I need to assert my right to not do these activities. Um, but that shouldn't happen at any time, whether there's a suspension on or not. Um, yeah, so it's not a good situation for people on Parents Next, but they are still not required to participate in these activities, just like everyone else. Yeah, okay. Um, and so if our listeners, uh, much like I'm sitting here just boiling with rage... <laughs> Um, if they're moved yeah. to help the AUWU or um, take some kind of action in relation to the issues that you've just talked about, what can people do to help? Where do I start? There's so many things, <laughs> but I'll start with the simplest. The simplest one is to go to our website, which mm-hmm. is au. very hard one to say, and there you can sign up as a member. And membership isn't restricted to people who are unwaged or underemployed or in insecure work. Membership is open to everyone. So we have a solidarity tier for waged workers. Um, And membership to our union is free because obviously we don't want to restrict access um, to our support. So if you are in a position where you have a little bit of extra money, you can make a voluntary donation, but everyone can join up. And that means when we do need to do a campaign, um, when we need to get information out to people about these sorts of injustices, You know, we have um, more people receiving that information. Um, There's kind of more you can do as well if you do have the time and capacity. Um, We run a volunteer um, peer support service where people who are having difficulties with Centrelink or with their job agency can call up um, and we'll share information with them about their rights and actions they can take um, to push back against, um, you know, dodgy behaviour, basically. So if you do have an interest in that, um, send us a direct message on Twitter or contact us via our Facebook page. They're the two easiest ways to get in touch with us. And put your hand up. There's regular training sessions. Um, the next training 
oh, I think I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's in like the second week of August. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll learn a lot. And uh, we even encourage people if they don't have capacity to do the volunteering to go along to that training because you'll learn a lot about your rights and your, you know, increase your ability to defend yourself um, against these types of um, practices. Fantastic. It really is one of the most um, vocal and supportive unions, I think, um, that we see around the place that really just consistently fights really hard for members um, and always communicates really well and really clearly. It's just, yeah, it seems like a fantastic organisation. Thanks, Sam. We're just trying to cut through the bull****. (laughs) On that note... Thank you so much for joining me this morning. That was Kristen O'Connell, a media spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, and you are on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. After we finish this interview, Kristen let me know that the AUWU has now called for a mutual obligation strike on Tuesday the 4th of August. That would be today. They're encouraging everybody on payments to refuse to engage with their job agency and assure us that there are no penalties for doing so at this time. There'll be more information available on their website or their Facebook or Twitter pages, so you can go there if you're on a payment and you want to join this strike. Once again, you're on 3CR Community Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science, and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and the Nara people, and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. Then tell me to just 
a song by Misha called Hold Strong and it's on her new album that came out just a couple months ago titled Narangu. Good morning it's Genevieve and you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. This week is Homelessness Week and to raise awareness and to talk about some important new data and a new campaign I'm joined by a very special guest Jenny Smith. She is the CEO of the Council to Homeless Persons, as well as the Chair of the Board to Homelessness Australia. Jenny will be talking to us about some new data gathered regarding the large gap between the amount of homeless and the social housing needed to end homelessness, where this isn't our issue apparent across the state. Thus, for this year's Homelessness Week, a series of interactive heat maps are being released that show both the problem of homelessness and the solution of social housing. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Hi, Genevieve, and uh, good morning, listeners. Good to be here with you in this Homelessness Week. Awesome. I'm so glad you could join us. Let's begin by giving our audience a little background into this campaign, specifically about the gap between homelessness and social housing. What is the campaign about? Well, I guess we've known uh, for a long time that we have a pretty unbelievable number of homeless people in our community. We know from our census data that in Australia it's about 116,000 people every night Uh, and in Australia that you know 288,000 different people come to our homelessness services every year and if we look closer to home in Victoria that that figures 25,000 people every night and about 116,000 people coming to our homelessness services every year. So you ask, why is it so? I mean, how can it be in our relatively uh, wealthy country? Uh, And we know that homelessness is essentially about not having enough money to be able to get yourself a home uh, and not be able to compete in the rental market. And For many people, that's about uh, the Centrelink income uh, not being adequate to provide any sort of chance of getting housing that's adequate in the private rental market. And we know that in Victoria, uh, you know, we've got 80,000 people, 43,000 households on our social housing waiting list. And, And even if you are the most urgent case in the state, it's probably going to take you a good 10 months to get to the top of that 
priority list and we know that historically Victoria has taken its eye off the ball of the amount of social housing we have in our community and that we are at the bottom of the league table in terms of the proportion of social housing uh, that we have uh, in uh, of the total housing in our community. So we know all that and, and yet nothing seems to happen. And you know, as we come into this uh, Homelessness Week in 2020, no homelessness strategy, no national housing affordability strategy, and that's the same in Victoria as well. Uh, and you know, it's been uh, wonderful to have a very strong announcement from the Victorian government this week about uh, money to keep the people that we have put into hotels as, as a health response there. Uh, you know, at least through until April and that uh, we're going to be able to get some subsidised rentals out of that private market uh, to keep those people safe and um, hope that we have a social housing outcome down the road uh, to assist them. But uh, the campaign uh, is really about what we try and do in, in Homelessness Week, which is to say that despite the fact that so many people in our community know those statistics, that we just can't seem to get the uh, federal leadership that we need to start to turn that around. So what the data shows is that in every electorate in Australia, there is homelessness and there is uh, a, a demonstrable need for social housing. So that's for people who are homeless, at risk of homelessness, but clearly with the level of income that they have, just not uh, going to be able to compete in the private rental market. And if they have got a roof over their head, they're paying far too much of that low income to do that. And so they're in rental stress. Um, so, uh, you know, when you look at it, uh, it really demonstrates that it's not just the stereotype that we still have of homelessness, which is perhaps your middle-aged man, uh, perhaps with uh, a mental health condition or an addiction uh, on the streets of Melbourne. It is people in every suburb, every country town, every regional area uh, in our state. And it, it, so it's, it's all of our problem and, and it's, it's something that requires a systematic policy agenda and systematic investment. Now, you know, here we are. Uh, so all of those figures that we're talking about on that heat map are pre-COVID. But here we are uh, seeing that, you know, we're on the edge of economic precipice and that by Christmas, we're likely to have 10% of our population out of work. And of course, then the, 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 the hidden, um, underemployment that comes with that, uh, it'll be much, much higher. So, you know, we're going to be in strife as a community. Now, uh, governments of all colours know that in these dire circumstances, economic stimulus is what is required. And we're seeing that already. But we seem to be struggling federally to um, have that acknowledgement that social housing is perfect stimulus. That it's not only great for the construction industry and all of the other um, uh, subcontracted industries that hang off that industry, which is 10% you know, uh, of our economic activity in its own right, uh, it's social good. But we have this huge social problem that doesn't become us 
as a civilised uh, country. And here is the opportunity to actually address that and deal with the economic downturn. Now, federal governments have done that uh, always, post Second World War, Cyclone Tracy, the global financial crisis. Now is the time for that leadership to happen again. Yeah, of course. And you kind of answered this question a little bit, but I'd like to go a little bit more into detail just for our listeners. Obviously, COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on people economically already. And uh, the result, I guess, they're assuming will be more people will go over the edge and become homeless. Can you tell us in greater detail what kind of impact it is and most likely will have on people? the COVID-19 pandemic in particular and on the homeless, um, the amount of people going into homelessness? Yeah, so we saw the Victorian government do a wonderful thing uh, at the start of the uh, pandemic, and that was to encourage our sector to do whatever it took to get people housed. And so we believe that we had about four and a half thousand people in various hotels and apartments around Victoria uh, in those first few months of the pandemic. And we know that right now we have a bit over 2,000 people in those sorts of circumstances. And so uh, now we're slowly, but uh, hopefully surely putting in place a pathway out of homelessness for those people. Uh, and um, I'm still waiting on you know, uh, funding from Working for Victoria and other supports uh, that the government has announced uh, to come into place to help our exhausted staff who have been uh, on top of everything else they were doing. And they're already turning away 105 people a day from our homelessness services pre-COVID, but they have been incredibly flexible, uh, incredibly responsive and uh, are doing their best to support the people in hotels uh, on top of all that um, uh, case management and front door work yeah and uh, that they're already doing so yeah. so that so that's been um, what's happened with the people that you know come to our homelessness services and you know not everybody who becomes homelessness becomes homeless does come to our services because you know lots of people lean on their families and their friends and uh, you know find um, spare bedrooms where they are welcome for quite a while or people will loan the money, uh, but the people that come to our services uh, just don't have those resources available to them. Um, the other thing I'd say is that the um, community really shouldn't underestimate how vital the doubling of JobSeeker has been to uh, sustaining um, well-being in our community, not just economic well-being, but I think social and psychological well-being in our community over uh, the last four or five months. And I think uh, the advent of the job keeper has been also really important. Now we know that they will both be reduced towards the end of September. And we know that there is uncertainty about what's going to happen to both of them, uh, I think after Christmas. So uh, I think we're going to start to see um, a fair bit of social tragedy from the end of September. And uh, I think it's probably only going to become more concerning um, 
uh, towards the, the end of the year. And uh, I mean, there is no way our service system can cope with that. And there is no way that there is uh, a housing market there for people to be able to adjust down. Now, people are saying, um, okay, well, rents are reducing uh, because students aren't coming from overseas and people aren't traveling and therefore there's Airbnbs and all of that is true, but how long will that last? And as the economy opens up again, these opportunities, which we're certainly being able to use as a sector for um, some of the people who come to us for help, they're not going to be there anymore. People are going to be back uh, travelling around as much as the circumstances will allow. And at some point, students will start to come back to the country and, and take that accommodation. So look, it's terrific that it's there for a short-term fix, but we shouldn't fool ourselves that it is uh, anything more than a short to medium-term response. Definitely. And I guess in light of public awareness, you've launched a series of interactive heat maps to describe this data to the public. Uh, tell us a bit about the interactive heat maps and what do you hope people get out of them? Well, it comes back to that um, observation that, that there is homelessness and there is need for more social housing in every electorate in our country. Uh, but these interactive heat maps, which you can go to at the Everybody's Home site, and if you put in Everybody's Home as one word, uh, you'll go straight there. Um, that that can you can tick little different boxes to to have a look at uh, the relative homelessness and the relative need for social housing uh, where you live, um, and we're able to look at the uh, inner city, uh, outer metropolitan. Uh, regional and rural um, dimensions of that. And uh, people can see the situation uh, where they live and in also other parts of uh, the state and the country in which they might be interested. Uh, but the, the, the key message is that it, this isn't somebody else's problem. This is a problem for all of us in our own local community. And uh, Homelessness Week is one of our opportunities to draw attention to the fact that there is still isn't any plan to do anything about this in either uh, Victoria or, or nationally. Definitely. And a lot of people may fear that Australia simply cannot afford to invest money in social housing during this pandemic. Why would this not be true? Well, I think I mentioned earlier that um, we always have invested in social housing when the going's got toughest because it is good economic stimulus. And look, we can't afford to do any of the things that we're doing at the moment to stimulate the economy. Uh, but, you know, um, economics tells us that we have to. Uh, we have to. Uh, we have to deal with debt. And, you know, interest rates are practically zero at the moment and the social need is there. So I think instead of uh, lining uh, the pockets of people who already have a very strong equity in our community, it is time to deal with um, the inadvertent neglect that we've shown to people on the lowest incomes for a long time. Um, you know, it is uh, a long time uh, since we've uh, really we had any sort of systematic investment in social housing. We really need to be doing this as we go. Every housing development, every housing redevelopment, uh, 
really needs to have a significant component of affordable housing. So that's housing that is at something like 80% discount to the market price. So there's a little subsidy in there to make it affordable to people who are on who are working though, um, and maybe on low incomes working or working part-time uh, because that's what makes the family work. Um, but uh, social housing, which is pitched at a price that's no more than 30% of that low income and so often that Centrelink income, uh, we need both of those. And we need to be doing it as we go or our community is just going to continually fall further behind and uh, uh, not have anything systematic in place to, uh, to stop doing that. You know, we, we can have injections from time to time if we keep fighting hard for them, but they actually don't solve the problem. There's got to be something systematic in place as we go. So that's a long way of describing inclusionary zoning, um, which requires that, um, that investment as we go in both affordable, the discount to market rent and the social housing, which is the um, no more than 30% of that low income. Yeah, definitely. And just uh, we're running out of time. So this will be um, one of my last questions. But let's also talk about um, the solution to this issue. And I know that there was one pitched um, a certain program. So just for our listeners, would you be able to explain the social housing acceleration and renovation program? Well, absolutely. So that's a partnership between Homelessness Australia um, community Housing Industry Association, uh, National Shelter and Everybody's Home, the, the campaign. And what we're really saying is, come on federal government, uh, it's, now's the time to invest in social housing as stimulus. And you can do that immediately by um, uh, in four stages. You can uh, announce um, uh, repairs and maintenance and um, uh, that type of uh, immediate, um, let's fix things up. Let's get some social housing that's offline back online. Let's prevent some social housing going offline because there isn't enough money uh, in the budget to, to, to do that maintenance. Let's recognise as a second stream that uh, there are properties right around uh, the country that people are going to have to sell in distressed economic circumstances. And that's awful, but uh, it's got to happen. And let's buy some of that yeah. uh, for, for uh, social housing. Now, if you talk to our community housing providers who are the not-for-profit not people that provide both affordable and social housing, um, <clears throat> they've got shovel-ready projects ready to go. So let's fund them because they're going to be good landlords. Um, there'll have to be a subsidy there to make those properties social housing, but, you know, partner with states and territories to put in equally to make that happen as a project and then have that strategy as the fourth uh, tranche of that to um, uh, do that social housing as we go as part of a, a healthy, diverse, inclusive community uh, that we want to have as Australia going forward. So that's what the, the SHARP um, proposes and we still haven't had any response to that and uh, uh, we'll just have to keep hammering it. Yeah, definitely. And just lastly, for our listeners as well, tell us where people can access these interactive maps and any other information regarding the campaign or Homelessness Week. Yes, yeah, so please go to the Everybody's Home uh, website, 
everybody's home one word and uh, it's all there for you. And join up. If you haven't joined the campaign, please join the campaign. For sure. We'll put all the details on our website as well. Um, so people can click the link there as well. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, Jenny. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. And sorry about the delivery that's just happening and the dog. <laughs> so fine. Isolated, quarantined, need some essentials, but can't leave the house or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment. Queer Aid NAM is a new mutual aid group of organised volunteers. We're here, we're queer, and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on QueerAidMelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook, COVID-19 Queer Aid Nam Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends, and don't forget your neighbours. That's QueerAidMelbourne.org, a 3CR supporter. The federal government announced last Thursday new targets for closing the gap. This has come out of months of negotiation between Aboriginal peak organisations and governments. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said it is a built on mutual trust, shared responsibility, dignity and respect, and is the first time governments have negotiated directly with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander representatives. Four priority reforms and 16 socioeconomic targets commit federal, state and territory governments to work in partnership with Aboriginal organisations to design and deliver on priority areas such as housing, early childhood and justice. However, there's been some criticisms of the targets already, especially reflected in its disappointing lack of ambition as a 15% reduction in incarceration rates, as the targets reveal, is simply not good enough. Where even raising the age from 10 to 14 would have reduced the over-incarceration of Aboriginal children. In light of this news, we have incorporated some audio from the highly acclaimed radio program recorded right here at 3CR, Beyond the Bars, which is a series of interviews with Indigenous Australians incarcerated, live from the prisons and conducted in NAIDOC week. The interviews you're about to hear are with the Indigenous women who are inmates at the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. How many, how many girls in there now? Uh, we're sitting, uh, yeah, sitting 35. 35. Which is good, that's pretty low. Yeah, okay. Did they have to, with the COVID thing, were, were girls released? Yeah, there's been a lot of women getting out on bail. Okay. Well, that's that's a good thing then, I guess, if um, people are getting looked after. Sorry? That's a good thing, if people are getting good, looked after. Oh, def definitely is. Yeah. 
Well, women have just started back with programs and stuff because of social distancing. Like, um, you know, we've had a, a lot of stuff stop at the prisons, such as education and all that, and it's all started back over the last couple of weeks, which is good. Yeah, and visits as well, yeah. Well, visits haven't started back, but they've been doing visits via Zoom. Yeah, OK. Which is, man, a lot of the families have had to uh, get the technology so that they can have the visits, you know. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing because you can probably maintain that and that way people can visit if they, in, you know, probably see more people well, that way. Well, the good thing is what they've been saying, the women, they get to see, like, the home and they get to see, like, the animals and all that stuff. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Hi, Roxanne. It's Viv here. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, not bad. I think I seen you in there last time, sis. Yes, I do, I remember you. Have you, have you been out since? Um, yeah, for like two and a half months. Okay, I think I did see you around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you introduce yourself. Um, Hi, um, I'm Roxanne, I'm at DPSC, and we're listening to Behind the Bars. Is that what I was supposed to say? Yeah, you can say anything, Roxanne. Tell okay. you know, just tell us how if you know if there's any messages you want people to, any, you know, specific they want you want people to know about you and your experience or Cheerios. Um, probably not much. I just yeah, work and everything. Um, I just wanted to um, do a shout out to everybody and wish them happy NATO. Um, keep strong. Um, I'd like to say hello to my babies. Oh, Samarika, Zalia, Malachi, um, just be strong, my baby. Um, and is there any chance that I could dedicate um, a song? Yep, absolutely. So I'd like to, um, Christine Arnu, um, by Island Home. And Done. To, For yeah. you, Roxanne. So tell us, what when you say work, what does work look like, Dame Phyllis? Um, I'm at horticulture at the moment, so I just do all the plants and seeding. I'm doing a project at the moment with, like, I've built this cage and I've just put all my vegetables in there, so I'm waiting for all of it to grow. Winter veg. What's, in, what's winter veg? Um, I've got, like, snow peas and radish, broccoli, um, cabbage. Strawberries, everything, yeah, everything that's in this season. So that's awesome. I, I, I always wish I'd gained that skill. And do you get to eat that food and cook it up in the kitchen? Um, yeah, like for all the girls at Hort, um, when it's ready, we're allowed to like you know go and pick it, and then it'll just get given to girls. So yeah, that's really good. good. Deadly. Anything else you want to add? Hey? Anything else you want to have a yarn about or put out? Um, no. Just have a good day. Thanks. You um, too, Roxanne. The, the theme for NADOC this year is always was, always will be. Yeah. So say, stay strong. That's it. Hi. Hello. My name's Viv. Who's this? Hi, I'm Yana. Hi, Yana. Thanks for coming on and doing Beyond the Bars this year for hey. um, NADOC. Have you done it before? No. No. So normally it's, we're, we're pre-recording this for NAIDOC week and we'll broadcast during NAIDOC week and we're doing yep. a few of the prisons around Victoria. But normally we come inside and do it and run some workshops, but that's going to be different hey, this year. Hey, Viv, a lot of these girls too, I forgot to mention, they've been really getting into their artwork, so doing oh. some deadly pieces during COVID. That's how they've been keeping busy. Yana's one of them. Tell us about your art then, Yana. 
Uh, yeah, I've been into my art a bit, um, learning new techniques and uh, new ways and uh, learning about, you know, my mob and dedicating them to my kids and my husband um, and my family, yeah. So was art something you did beforehand or...? I was always crafty but never really got into the painting and now I've realised it's something uh, to get your emotions out. You can put the emotions on the canvas and um, express yourself in that way. Yeah, beautiful. So acrylic, you're talking about acrylic, you're doing paintings on a ca- on canvas? Um, yeah, I think it's acrylic that we use on the canvas and... Um, yeah, so different, yeah, different ways we learn how to do it, you know, like, you know, different brushes and the lines and the dots, you know, like different sizes and, um, yeah, it's all about the, the stroke, I suppose, yeah. So that that's a way for you to tell, tell a story tell and yeah, share, yeah? thousand percent, yeah. So do you get a chance to exhibit that work, like, at any time, even if it's just, you know... Internally, I'm or in the midst of um, my artwork out there, um, I've sent a lot home to my my children and my family, and um, they got them up on the wall at home. And I got some aunties back home that want want some of my work, so that's pretty deadly. Um, that is, that's yeah. that's more than deadly. That's really that's really exciting. Yeah, it is actually. So. Um, uh, I put one of my paintings forward for NADOC and it's actually been used to put a tote bag for us girls. Oh, that's amazing. So good. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. What about, yeah. have, have yeah. you thought about, um, like, doing it, There's in, in, uh, in, if you know Fitzroy Collingwood here, you know there's murals and nice big sort of artwork on that huge scale. Yeah, yeah. So for, I'm from Lake Entrance. Yeah. So I would love to uh, do like art classes down there for for the youth, you know, and, and teach the, you know, my kids and nieces and nephews and many more how to uh, express themselves through art. Absolutely, do it. I can hear it in your voice that you've got you've gotten so much that you've gotten you know something out of that. Yeah, and yeah, um, I, I I do it for you know when I yeah for the same reasons. So deadly, and share that with your children too. One of the things I learnt in sort of later in the day, or I wish I'd learnt and taught my children, is music along the same sort of lines. You know, do you get a chance yeah. to do learn music or anything like that? Uh, last year I was doing songwriting, and I've learned how to, um, you know, express myself. I've write, uh, written a few songs, and my daughter, she does rap, and she was trying to teach me before I come in here, and now I've learned how to do it. Um, our dream is to put uh, a few songs together. Wonderful. I love yeah. um, a rap or spoken word. I love the spoken word sort of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Look, how, how, long before, how long do you have to, before you can be released from Dame Phyllis there? Um, well, my daughter's already in the midst um, of getting a few songs recorded so uh hopefully when i go home we'll be able to yeah get the ball rolling and and get it out there absolutely and keep 3cr in mind you know we're a little community radio station here in melbourne but 
one of the things yeah, that they do here is sure. su- support new artists. I don't know if you've heard, of, uh, you would have heard maybe Mitch Tambo. I think he was on a, a um, yeah. relatively new artist, but um, we had, I've got to say, well, I had him in here re- really early. So this is, it's a great place to support new artists, upcoming artists. So. Yeah, that's deadly. They've supported me. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming on. Is there anything else you want to want to put out there before you go? Pardon? Anything you want to add? Last before you. Just a shout out to my babies and family to stay strong, and I love them, and we'll be together again soon. Deadly. Deadly. Thank you. Thanks, Yana. Hi, Patricia. Are you there? Yep. My name is Viv. Nice to meet you. Have you done Beyond the Bars before? What was that, sorry? Have you been part of Beyond the Bars program in, from Dame Phyllis before? No, not before, no. Okay, well, um, we broadcast during NAIDOC week, which is yep. postponed this year. But, um, it's a, yeah, normally we come inside and, and meet women and and get yep. the program from there, but it's just going to be done over the phone this year. Yep. So thanks for coming on and... Just want to invite people to just introduce yourself, where you're from, and just tell us a story or any cheerios, that sort of thing. Yeah. Hey, hi, Patrice. Want to introduce yourself to the yeah, audience? Yeah, I'm um, Patricia. And where you're from? Portland. Portland. Yeah. Yeah. So used to the cold. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> So what's an, what, what? Tell us something about your hometown there. What's um, the, best, the best part about it? Uh, it's a fishing town. Yeah. I, I don't, I've never been there, Portland no? myself. Is it big? Is it? Okay. No, I'm, I'm more of a East Melbourne and East in okay, my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. I'm originally from Murray Bridge, South Australia. Okay. Where? Do you prefer to reside on the continent if continent if you uh, had, had a choice? Be on the river. <laughs> on the river. I'm a river girl yeah. too. Yeah. Fishing. So do you partake in any programs in there? Part of the cooking or uh, not at the moment. Gardening. You've been sick. You've been sick. Sorry. Yeah. That's no good. No, but I have put in for a kitchen job, so we'll see how we go. Yeah. And you, and you looked after there when you get crook? What was that, sorry? When you do get sick in, in prison, you looked after... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just got oh. a medical certificate, so I just stay home and do housework. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want to dedicate a, a song to anyone or any cheerios or messages for people? Uh, I'd just like to say g'day to all the Portland crew. No worries, we can do that. And the theme for NAIDOC this year, I believe, is always was, always will be. That's a good little theme this year, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And how's the, the prison feel? A bit, bit, um, is it different since the COVID yeah, stuff started? Yeah, it's my first time actually, so yeah, it was a bit of a shock. Yeah. Especially at my age. Okay, so you, you're a bit old. How, how old yeah, are you? I'm, I'm in my 50s. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess first time um, would be a bit of a shock. I haven't been there myself yet, but um, not 
for you know longer than a couple of hours, but yeah, I've met some lovely people though. Have you? Do you feel yeah. like that's where you need to be to you know? Oh, definitely, it's slipping me right out. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sis. Oh, I hope yeah. um you know you can. Make the most of it. Yeah. We don't want to come back here anyway. No, of course not. So I have grand grandchildren on the outside, so I'm doing it for them and my two daughters. You want to put a, sh a shout out to your grannies? Cheerios or anything? Yeah, I'd like to say a big hello to Seth and Zach and Kim and Christy. Deadly, we can do that. Okay. Hopefully, you know. Um, do you get I to speak to them? To no, you don't. No, not even with skyping or anything like that. No. No. I had a few Zoom calls. Yeah. Oh, Zoom. That's what you use mob do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's pretty exciting. You get something to look forward to. Yeah. Is Zoom yeah. something that you were doing that you knew about before, or is this new new skill? New. Yeah. Same here. So that that's yeah. that's a good thing, I guess. It's new to me. I'm a bit. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you get the opportunity to to learn because I think if we don't, because I'm a bit old too, and if we don't keep up with it, <laughs> we get left behind. <laughs> well, that's how it felt when I got here. Yeah. Deadly. Thanks, Patrice, for um having a yarn. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Is there, if there's anything else you want to add, go for it. Um, no, that's probably that. Always was, always will be. Yay. Yay. Thanks, Patrice. Thank you. Enjoy a bit of sun sunshine today.